Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's good to be together. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors at the church. It's my pleasure to be able to um, read God's Word and and preach this morning. Uh, We find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 1. And if you brought your Bible with you, I'd keep it open because we'll be referring to the text that I'll read, but also the events that follow. And so it would be interesting for you to be able to follow along in that way. But I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. This is God's Word. Is that right? No, 16. Sorry. 16. Amen. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) It's right there. Yeah, here we go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, this is Jesus, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, would you please be with us this morning and by your spirit um, reveal to us what it means for us to be fishers of people in your name. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So we've been spending um, the spring talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, which is, that makes sense, because that's what churches do. They make disciples. And to orient our hearts and to give us language about what it looks like to become a disciple, to walk the pathway of discipleship, We've been talking about uh, seven core sayings of Jesus. Come and see. Ask, seek, knock. Turn and trust. Follow me. Abide in me. Love one another as I have loved you. And finally, love your neighbor as yourself. When people would come to Jesus and ask him to define the law, or would ask him, what's the most important thing for me to understand about what God requires of me and what life's about? He'd always say the same thing. He'd say the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we may be coming to this idea at the end of our pathway, but it is in in God's heart at the very beginning. This was his intent at the start of things, to make you a great lover of people. Um, and one thing I love about this text is that we, we see that illustrated for us. This is happening at the very beginning of Jesus' um, ministry. 
he goes to these disciples and he calls them, hey, you come and follow me and I'm going to make you become, how would you finish that sentence? Or come follow me and I'm going to show you what's in this for you. Come follow me and I'm going to make you your most authentic self. He says, follow me and I'm going to make your life all about other people. And the language he uses to describe that life of neighbor love, that life that's all about other people, is to become a fisher of people. So that's what I want to think about today. What does it look like for Jesus to make us fishers of people? What does that tell us about how we are called to love our neighbor? What does that mean in our lives as individuals? What does that mean for us as a church? You ready? Okay, fishers of people. Uh, That language, fishers of men, has kind of taken on, uh, it has a life of its own in the church. I'm sure when you think of that, you've heard a sermon, if you've been around the church, on what it means to be a fisher of men. And what do you think of when you think about fishing for people? I think most of us think about what it means to be an evangelist or to share the gospel with our friends. Uh, We think about catching our friends for the sake of the gospel. And perhaps some of that is implied here. But I actually think that's a fairly crude reduction and pale shadow of what Jesus means to communicate with this language. Um, He has something more beautiful, I think, for us in calling us to be fishers of people. If you've ever gone fishing, one of the things that's terrible about fishing is that you get knots in your line. You know this, like you spend, especially when you have kids. I go fishing with the kids, and the kids do the fishing, but they don't fish. They just create the knots. And then I spend my time untangling the knots so that we can be effective as fishing people. Um, But we are not effective. We have knots in our line, I would say, as Jesus' people. Because we, br- we bring our preloaded assumptions about fishing to this text. And to be able to be effective fishers of people, the first thing that we have to do is untie the knot of, of taking our modern assumptions about like weekend fishing and separate that and to think about what would these men have thought when Jesus called them to be fishers of men. And I think um, untangling that knot happens in three steps. And these are the three points of our sermon for you note-taker people. Not rods, but nets. That's the first point. Second point, not a hobby, but a lifestyle. Third point, not people in general, actual neighbors. Not rods but nets, not hobby but a lifestyle, not people in general, but actual neighbors. You ready? 
not rods, but nets. When you and I go fishing, we have rods. We have lines. We have lures. Sometimes we have a bobber. And we're going after one fish. It's me versus bluegill. I see him out there. He's not coming in. I may go with buddies, but it's me, my rod, my line, and Mr. Smallmouth out there. That is not what these fisher people would have thought of when they were fishing. It's actually right there in our text. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a line? No, casting a net into the sea. And so the way these gentlemen went about it is, one, it would always be in community. You'd always have multiple people in the boat. And what you would be casting is not a line, but a net overboard. And you'd be dragging it slowly along the floor, catching not one fish, but bringing a, a number of fish together, putting the net back in the boat, emptying it, and going after it again. Um, they didn't use bait. They, re- they relied on time and repetitive effort and their expertise to make a catch. A time-consuming and often frustrating process. This broadcast, this community casting a broad net into the sea. I'm just saying it changes the metaphor. Not individual, but communal. Not narrow, but broad. That's the first difference. Not rods, but nets. And then not a hobby, but a lifestyle. If you're fishing in our context, nine times out of ten, you're a hobby fisher person. Which means you fish on the weekends. You grab your gear, tackle box, Coleman cooler, a buddy, and you're out there in the morning. You're at the lake. Maybe you're at the lake all day. That's a good day to be at the lake all day. But then you come back and you you go to your job on Monday. But these folks were fishermen. It says that. Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So this was a way of life for them. Fishing was their life. Not fishing on a holiday weekend. They smelled like fish at the end of every day. They woke up in the morning and the first thing they checked was the weather patterns because their life depended on it. They were checking to see if it was sunny or overcast. These were the farmers of the sea. And so when Jesus is talking to these individuals about fishing, he's talking to them about what they do for a living. And he's saying, I'm going to take what you do for a living and I'm going to redirect your efforts from fish to people. I'm going to take your vocation and turn it upside down in the direction 
of people. I'm going to make you what you already are with one difference. The object, the purpose. And so I'm going to take your story and your expertise, your gifts and your competencies, and I'm going to focus it on your neighbor for the kingdom of God. So this isn't, he's not talking about a Friday night evangelism event, but a way of life. And that is amazing. So I imagine it like this. I imagine him coming up to us and saying, to you who are homemakers, I'm going to make you a homemaker of people. To catch people for the kingdom of God. Or are you athletic? Do you run on the weekends? I'm going to make you a marathoner to collect people for the kingdom of God. Do you run the cash register at Casey's? I'm going to make you a Casey's cash register runner for people for the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't talking about an evangelistic strategy. He isn't talking about a hook to like get people in. He's talking about a way of living where we take our lives as they are and we direct them towards others. Casting out this broad net of love To bring people into our lives. Not a periodic project, but something that is necessary, ongoing, continual. That's different from the rod and the line thing. So, not rods, but nets. Not hobby, a lifestyle. And finally, not directed at people in general, or abstract people, but real people, your actual neighbors. And so Jesus is a good rabbi, and so he's not just going to tell them what he's going to make them, he's going to show them what it looks like when they become that thing. He's going to take this idea of fishing for people And he's going to make it like 3D. He's going to take it from black and white. He's going to make it pop in technicolor by living the thing out. And so we see that. It's what he does right after this text. Where does he lead them? Where do they go? He says, I'm going to make you fishers of people. And you would think, well, that means they're going to be missionaries. And if they're on mission and missionaries, they're going to go overseas. After all, they're fisher people. (laughs) They're going to go overseas to where this is really need them. But man, look where he leads them. It is awesome. He leads them right into the neighborhood. Um, He's not talking about an unreached people group. He's going to lead them to interact with their neighbors, their worshiping community, their friends. And it's in that context that they're supposed to cast out their nets of love. Check this out. The first place they go, co-workers. Co-workers. Verse 19. So this is the very next verse. 
And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Jebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boats with the hired servants and followed him. So where do they go? They go to the fisher people in the cubicle next door. And Jesus goes to them, and he looks at them, and he calls them, and he says, you, Simon, you're not the only special one in the world. I'm going to look at verbally honor and call your co-workers to follow me. I want you to see and care about people like that in the way that I do. Co-workers, who knew? Who are your co-workers? <laughs> Okay, and then he leads them, and this makes more sense to us, to church. Yeah, it makes sense. Jesus would take us to church. That's what we thought he would do. But when he gets to church, this is amazing. I won't read the whole passage, but guess what happens? The spooky people come out. Jesus starts to teach, and the demon-possessed, and mind-haunted, and spiritually afflicted people come out and he frees them from their spiritual affliction. So he leads them first to their co-workers and then he leads them to the synagogue they've been going to all their life, but now they're looking at it differently. There's spiritual affliction here. There's hurt here that hasn't been mended or tended to and he's calling them there. Anybody mind haunted? There's plenty of spooky people in here who need the love of Jesus. When you think about casting out your nets of love, do you think about the people sitting next to you in the pews? The cubicle next door, the people next to you in the pews, and then he takes them home. Oh, no, to meet the mother-in-law. So they go back to the house. That sounds okay. But then in verse 30, you get to Peter's mother-in-law, who lays ill with fever, it says. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship Simon had with his mother-in-law. It could have been complicated. Often those relationships are. Not with me and my mother-in-law. I love you, Barbara, very much. But think about Peter. This must have been humbling for him, following Jesus, and you expect him to lead you like overseas, but he leads you to the cubicle next door. Then he leads you to minister to the spiritual affliction of the people next to you in the pews. And the next thing he does is he takes you to your mother-in-law. And says you need to care for her in her illness. Man, just this convicting idea that when Jesus says love your neighbor, he's talking about your actual neighbor and your real life. The people that you interact with every day. When he says be a collector of people, that it starts at work, church, and home. It just kind of makes me think about the holidays. Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes the relation, sometimes the hardest person for me to reach are the people in my house with the love of Jesus. But he says, start there. Your family has sickness. Did you know that? I think we probably know that. There's sickness in my own family. And that's part to be what, how I cast out my net of love. So let's recap. Jesus spends a day with his disciples after calling them to be fishers of people. Then he leads them in the neighborhood. And what he does is he honors some of their co-workers. He frees a, a, a church member of spiritual darkness and mind-hauntedness. And then he leads them home to, to physically care for the needs of someone who's sick. Just loving intentionally the people that they knew and interacted with every day of their lives and look at the results. He casts his life into the neighborhood like a loving net and what happens? Look at this. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And so he's, he's lived in an intentional way. And what happened? There's more people. He cast out the net and now they open the door in the evening and the whole town is there. Not the whole town, just the super broken people. Just the hurting people. Kind of a crazy scene. It says the mind haunted, the the spirit afflicted, the demon possessed, and the sick. How many sick people were there in that town? Let's just be conservative and say there were 75 or 100. And now they're all at Jesus' door. And Jesus is saying, the net was cat, we're going to keep going. And he's trying to teach us something here too. That when you cast the nets of our, when we cast the nets of our lives into the sea, uh, we're really trying to collect the ones that the world forgets. And the hurting. And the haunted. The broken. And the poor. And they who are who we give special attention to. Because they have needs that we can meet. But get this. Because because they have something that we need as well. One of the amazing things that happens as the story goes on. The next two people that Jesus leads the disciples to are a leper and a paralytic. And in both of those cases, the point of the stories is that the paralytic's friends and the leper have great faith. And so the disciples are supposed to learn about what faith really looks like from these people that Jesus is healing. And Jesus does this all the time. He sees people that we think are needy, but then he points to them and says, they have something that you need. I think about the widow in her might. 
You know, the, the widow who just gives her one coin that she has. And there's all these rich folk around who have given more than her. But Jesus says, oh, don't feel sorry for her. Feel sorry for them. Because it's not about what you, it's not about the amount you give. It's about the heart of the giver. And this woman is rich in the kingdom of God. I'm just saying when Jesus calls us to cast out our net, there's as much receiving to be had as there is giving. It's a two-way street. This wasn't them moving into their neighborhood to be its saviors, but to be a blessing and to be blessed and to find in the midst of this relational love and this give and take the kingdom of God and to make it manifest for the world. A community of people caught together by Jesus, covenanted to one another, fishing for one another, taking all they have and offering it for the sake of another human being, for their strength, and that person doing the same for us. I'm going to make you become fishers of people. So Jesus isn't talking about a strategy, like an evangelistic strategy or like a, a diagram that you can have. And you're like, okay, I got to think about this. And I ask them these questions and then I share Jesus with them here. He's talking about a way of life, not a solo effort, a team effort like our individual lives and giftings being knit together in something like a net that's cast into this neighborhood, our neighborhoods. The loving net of, of Jesus trying to not catch someone on a hook and pull them in, but gather people together in, in, a, in a belonging way, in a broad net of love that is the kingdom of God. Your neighbor, your co-workers, the person next to you in the pew, your actual Neighbors. This is what Jesus intends to do with us. And it's a promise that he makes. It's very interesting. He says, I will make you become fishers of people. And so, in a moment, I'm going to invite, um, after I pray, I'm going to invite Crystal, who's our Director of Neighborhood Hospitality to talk to you about our new Neighborhood Hospitality team. But before I do that, I want to, I want to close with an, something that I just have thought a lot about as I've thought about what it means to collect people. I had a mentor once who said, Ben, spend your life collecting people, not things. People, not things. Because that's what's going to matter at the end. And I've thought a lot about that this week. What it means to collect people. And I thought about my good friend Ann Morris. Uh, who died a number of years ago. She was such a dear friend to me. And I got to sit with her when she was in hospice. She was a woman who had a tremendous faith in Jesus. Every time you talk to her. Jesus' name would be on her lips. And she was kind of upfront about it. 
Like every time she, she'd grab me by the elbow and say something Jesus-y to me. Have you loved your wife lately? Have you taken a day off? Have you taken a Sabbath? Here's a book. She'd give me books. And those books were some of my favorite books that I've ever read. They've, they've shaped me deeply. I loved being with her in the last moments of her life. And she was so eager to be with her Savior in heaven. But I remember being in the room, the hospice room, very sparse. It had very little in terms of things in it. All of the things that she had had were gone. But it was filled with people. I watched those, that last week of her life as all kinds of people, young and old, neighbors, Christians, non-Christians, all came to pay honor to this woman who had reached out and over her life touched so many that she left a legacy. That there was this great crowd of people around her at the end from all kinds of different walks of life and socioeconomic spaces. And no one would have looked into that room as all of those people stood there honoring her and thought, this woman is poor. They would have thought, she's rich. And so I began to think about my own funeral. And I began to think, who do I want to be there? Not just my, 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 my wife is probably going to say some nice things about me. My kids are going to probably say like good things about me and be there. Some of my friends, I bet IT will be there or something. But like, I want my, what about my neighbors? My co who do I want? What would be the legacy that I would want to leave in terms of the people that my life has touched? And then I thought about us as a church. What if Grace Chapel had a funeral? And the people that we touched came and, and honored us as a church. Who would we want to be there? Who from the near south and Everett neighborhoods? Who from your neighborhoods? I would want it to be a great cross-section of people, wouldn't you? Christians, non-Christians. Folks from all over that we have loved and touched for many years of just casting Jesus' kingdom net of love, his message of the gospel, into the actual spaces of our lives. Jesus wants to make us fishers of people. Let me pray for us. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and this great calling upon us. Would you help us Um, would you make us fishers of people in your name? Amen. Uh, you know Crystal as our worship director, but did you know that she plays another role in our church as director of neighborhood hospitality? And I think, one, that's the best title that we have at our church for any given role but also, it's the, it's the role that I think is most fitting for Crystal. She is an awesome worship leader, but I am most excited about her role as Director of Neighborhood Hospitality. So I'm glad for, to give her the opportunity to talk to you about what this might mean for our church. Thanks, Ben. It's a working title. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows if it'll be there t tomorrow? Uh, I would like to introduce you to the Neighborhood hospitality team, uh, if you just look around at the people beside you, because you didn't sign up, but you're it. 
that's okay. You didn't ask to be on the neighborhood hospitality team, but you are. Uh, if Grace Chapel is the place that you call home, uh, you are uh, the body of Christ in this neighborhood and in your neighborhoods. And that's deeply exciting to me because in the church, uh, there's a tendency for the few to do the work and uh, for many to feel lost and unconnected and unsure of their role. But that isn't the case. Uh, each one of you uh, are the net, uh, the net of love. And so we need each one of you. We need each one of you to be living your life in your particular neighborhoods. Uh, we believe that you can't be a good neighbor to the near south if you aren't a good neighbor to the person next door. It's a matter of integrity. It's the places of transformation that the Spirit is at work in each one of your lives. And I'm deeply convicted by this. We've been in our particular home for about six years. Uh, we've slowly gotten to know our neighbors. But when I really sat down and I thought about what does relationship with a neighbor look like, uh, it's, it's compelling and it's difficult. Uh, how many of them have been around my table? How many of them uh, know my kids? Um, uh, my husband is much better at loving them than I am. He often scoops the lawn in the winter. But what, is it, what does it mean to be a, a good neighbor? Uh, you have a physical body. I'm not sure if you were aware of the physicality of your space. And that means that you occupy space and are currently sitting next to someone. Uh, these are defining elements of our lives. And they define our discipleship beautifully. Some of us wish we could be physically in different spaces this is where we are today. Uh, where do I begin? Where do I start? Uh, I, would, I would ask before you even consider what it looks like to be hospitable in this particular neighborhood, that you would consider what it looks like for you to be a person of hospitality near you. Um, consider the people who live next door. Maybe it's the person who bags your groceries. Is there someone that walks their dog you know, across your sidewalk? Regularly, maybe there's a family in the apartment upstairs. It could be a coworker in a cubicle next to you. It could be your students. Uh, maybe you are a student. It could be your teachers. It could be your coaches, your friends. And maybe you could ask the question, "How could I spend time with them? And how can I invite them to a table?" Your own table may not be a place that you can invite someone to. Maybe you don't have a table, but you eat, presumably. And what if you ate with another human? Maybe that's on a park bench. Maybe that's at a Burger King. Uh, can you spend time with them? And could you find a way to spend uh, time at a table? Remember that mutuality matters. Uh, that in the kingdom of God, we are not always the giver. Uh, but humility looking like Jesus looks like receiving. And so we want to look for friendships of mutuality. And remember that people's greatest need is Jesus. Uh, you provide them friendship. You provide them care, uh, love, and affection. Their greatest need is for the life of Jesus. Um, uh, at Grace Chapel, we uh, think about what it looks like for our particular neighborhood. And so if you're interested in thinking about that, uh, maybe you spend some time with the Lord processing what integrity in your own physical space looks like. We'd like to think about three things here at Grace in our neighborhood in the Near South and Everett. Prayer, place, and partnerships. Um, there is a prayer box uh, that Pastor Victor made and is uh, right on A Street and 16th. 
And over the last couple of months, we've had the privilege of receiving prayer requests from our neighbors, some of them anonymous and some of them with names. I'd like to read a few of them to you right now. Um, a neighbor prayed uh, to help me get off of the streets, to stay warm, protected, and alive. A neighbor asked us to pray, um, I just need life to give me a chance. Could we pray for that? Thank you. Yep. Uh, a neighbor asked us to pray for uh, their uncle on hospice. And another prayer request just said, Mi familia, which I thought was beautiful. Uh, there was also a prayer request that said something not very nice about my mom. And so we prayed for them as well. Uh, if you're a person of prayer and would like to receive those prayer requests, would you just let me know? I would love for our congregation to be praying for our neighbors specifically. Um, and, you know, and you can pray. And you can pray for, our, uh, for this place. Uh, we think about the physical space that Grace Chapel inhabits, our building itself. It's huge. And if you look at the footprint of our neighborhoods, it occupies a large uh, space of real estate, if you include our parking lots. How can we leverage that for loving our neighborhood? We have a, a basement renovation project that's happening right now. We'd love for that gym. Did you know we have a gym to be used by neighborhood kids? There's a space that we're going to use for multi-use um, opportunities, places that people can go and be and gather for book clubs and quilting clubs and birthday parties. Um, we have a counseling center that meets in our building. That's a beautiful place of, of service uh, with uh, scholarships for people in the neighborhood who would like to get uh, mental health care. FoodNet uh, operates on Friday mornings. We have beautiful interactions with neighbors there on Fridays. Um, we would love for this building to be a space that our neighbors recognize as being for them. Uh, we have a little closet downstairs with uh, some basic food and coats and gloves and just walking with our neighbors down to that space has given us opportunity for beautiful conversations about their lives and their needs. What if when our neighbor walked by, they knew that this space, whether they worshiped here or not, was for them? Uh, we have a neighbor fund. Uh, this is a portion of uh, the generous giving of our church that if you know someone either in this neighborhood or near to you that has a physical need, that you can go to that app and fill out what's called a neighbor assistance request. And Grace Chapel would love to help facilitate you reaching out to the people in your life that might have a need. Uh, so that's another way for you uh, to consider uh, making this place a place for our neighbors. And then partnerships. We have beautiful relationships all over the, the neighborhood with people already doing really good things. Uh, we don't have to compete with them for services, but we can facilitate their work. Juniper Refuge uh, is a... Uh, uh, refugee resettlement and mentor care and help uh, organization that uh, Nikki Long goes to Grace Chapel. They would love for mentor families uh, to help with resettled refugees. Uh, if any of these uh, partnerships look interesting to you, please talk to me. I would love to help you get connected. Uh, we have a prayer meeting with neighborhood churches, a time when we can pray over our neighborhood and encourage one another. Uh, those churches have become dear friends to us. There's an organization called The Hub uh, that helps uh, at-risk youth. They offer G, uh, GED classes, uh, cooking classes. Right now in our youth kitchen, uh, The Hub is offering a cooking class to some of their uh, students uh, where they can learn how to use an Instapot. Seems like a great thing to learn how to do. 
Uh, we have an Everett soccer club that's happening at Everett Elementary right now, and we're really eager for our relationships with LPS within our space to continue to grow. Um, Transformations is a thrift shop just a few blocks over, and I know many of you have um, volunteered to help there. They are a light in our neighborhood. So we're just looking for kind of these inroads, places that we have like-minded uh, people, ways that we can support and encourage um, you may not live in the near south, but maybe you drive through it. Maybe you park next to a neighbor's house. Maybe you drink coffee at Cultiva. Um, what does it look like to be a good neighbor here? And it's kind of the same. Let's pay attention to the people in the pew beside you, to the people who walk on our sidewalks, to the places of business. Uh, how can I spend time with them? How could I invite them to a table? Remember that mutuality matters and that their greatest need is for Jesus. I'd like to end with just a quick story. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking into the building. It wasn't a day that I was working in the building, but I was here. And the Lord in his good care and timing made it so clear that, that there was a, a family that he wanted uh, to be cared for. Because as this uh, group of um, Afghan refugee siblings was walking towards the building... Nikki Long, who runs Juniper Refuge, Pastor Isaac, and I were all converging at the same time so that the door was opened, they were ushered in. Uh, Nikki had just had a conversation that day with a, a, a man who spoke um, Farsi, and so she got his phone number and called him and said, can you be a translator real quick? And sure, and so speakerphone, and she's talking to them about their needs, and they just moved into the neighborhood, and they live right across the street on on B, and uh, this group of siblings had been told that Grace Chapel has food, and they just walked to the door. So we're talking with them, and we're able to communicate with them. We take them downstairs, and they just filled a huge bag full of Gatorade and uh, granola bars and gloves and hats and coats, and we joked with them about how none of the coats fit, and we need to get younger coats. And um, uh, through that interaction... Uh, we're able to connect them to uh, some other services in the city. Nikki was able to visit them a few weeks ago and just make sure that they were taken care of and connected. And, uh, and it was so obvious to me that what the Lord wanted was for that family to be welcomed. They could have come five minutes earlier and it would have been a different story. Well, how great is his love for our neighbors? Uh, and there was a woman who observed this whole situation. She was sitting in the um, couches, kind of with big wide eyes, uh, just sitting in the sanctuary or in the great hall, uh, who afterwards said, I just witnessed the kingdom. I said, I had goosebumps all over. I think the Lord's calling me to pay attention. Isn't that beautiful? So I just, um, thank you for being a part of the, uh, neighborhood outreach team. Uh, each one of you has, uh, so much to give and to share. Uh, please talk to me if any of these things stir something in your heart. Um, but I'm grateful. Thank you. Uh, Jesus's love is great for you. So what I imagine is that we show up at Jesus or Simon's house and we're amongst the crowds of the hurting and the broken knocking on the door and Jesus opens and he sees us and he meets our needs and he brings us inside and he binds us together into this kingdom community.